calling all book nerds and novel novices. Literature and Libations is starting a Patreon. Affectionately named Lowercase L, our Patreon will cover some of our favorite and some of our not-so-favorite-but-we-have-to-talk-about-it series. For $3 a month, you will get a monthly bonus episode. To sign up, go to patreon.com slash literatureandlibations. There's also a link on our Instagram page, Literature and Libations Pod, and our website, literatureandlibationspod.com, on the About the Show page. Our first episode will be dropping January 30th, and we will be talking about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And we will be joined by the third sister, Allie. What she lacks in stature, she makes up for in wit. We are so excited to start this Patreon and hope that you join us. Happy reading and drinking. I'm going to get you a shirt that says, I hate him anyway. <laughs> oh, man. I would totally wear that. That's amazing. Ooh, yay. Okay. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. <laughs> Keep your eyes peeled. Your way. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning. Oh. <laughs> it is morning for us. It may not be morning for you all when, whenever or wherever you are listening to this, but for us, it is morning. For me, it is uh, kind of snowing. What? Yes. It's, it's mid-April when we're recording this, and springtime in Montana makes no sense. There are no rules. Mm. It could be almost 70 degrees one day, and then the next day, it's 30 degrees, and there's big fluffy flakes coming down on your head. Yeah, I think it's snowing. I don't live in Vermont yet, but it is snowing in Vermont yesterday. As of yesterday, it was snowing there too, so <laughs> I th- they're feeling your pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just be prepared when you do move to colder, snowier climes that the snow can last into the spring and sometimes even summer. Goody. <laughs> Yes, don't put those snowbies away. <laughs> it was a nice 60 degrees in San Francisco yesterday. I was at the beach, so. <laughs> I saw. I was, a little, I was a little jelly. I had a little jelly bean. Yeah, it was pretty windy, but it was still nice. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, it's been windy like crazy here for the past, well, like on and off for the past two weeks, and I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of it, I tell you. Yeah, wind is a bitch. She's yeah, because it makes cold it colder. Then, yeah. yeah, and then my eyes water and... Anyway, yeah. but we're not here to talk about the weather. <laughs> we are here. Nope. nope. Not a weather How podcast. Interesting. Would that be? I almost said boring, but some people's life passion is the weather. So I don't want to shit on it. Do you really think that? Is that, is that something you truly believe? <laughs> well, I mean, weather people, you know, they report on the weather. They obviously like that stuff. I wonder if they're into the weather or more into the, like, being a weather man. Oh woman yeah, person just, just the glamour of being on television standing in front of a green screen and pointing thusly yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know if you're a weather person please chime in yeah. <laughs> why why do you enjoy being a weather person we want to know where's the passion <laughs> oh gosh anyway we are actually here today um as a a bonus episode for our old man and the sea episode. Don't worry, we are not talking more about that book. (laughs) No. (laughs) Much to Taylor's delight. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this episode, we're going to talk about the lost generation. So this period of time in 1920s Paris, where a bunch of American expatriates were in Paris, um, mostly writers, and they just lived there, wrote there, 
drank there. And it's just kind of a, a really fascinating time, I think. Um, Hemingway was obviously a part of it. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it, just because I think it's, like I said, it's very interesting, um, both literarily. That's a word. And just culturally, historically, it is absolutely a word. And yeah, so I just I have a question. Be, oh, yes. Question. Taylor. <laughs> are these all were all of these people trust fund babies like how were they just able to go off to paris and write for funsies well you see back in the 20s um like obviously this was before <laughs> the depression even though the depression was mostly an american thing um that took place in america times were just different then you could mm-hmm. just go to paris and live there you know live in almost like you know poor poverty life like Hemingway often said that him and his wife at the time Hadley were like super poor but that's not necessarily true they had some money because you know he was writing he wasn't yet like at least when he first got there the great writer Hemingway but he was able to sell (coughs) okay you you know what I mean What many considered to be the great writer Hemingway. But he was like selling stories. Mm -hmm. And I think Hadley came from some money. So they weren't destitute. And like these other writers were also working at the time. And and I'll get into them too. So it was, they had a a little bit of money. They weren't like super wealthy by any means. But it was also just easy during that time to like find a super cheap apartment or room and then get super cheap food and just, you know, post up at a cafe all day because that's kind of just the French way. You just sit and talk and drink for hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's super interesting. And at, and at the end of this, um, you know, I'm going to talk about a few books and or documentaries or movies to kind of that that go more into this if if this is interesting for you all. And then Taylor, you're you're going to be going to Paris here in a little bit. So it'd also be kind of... Oui, oui. Wee <laughs> wee, oui, oui, ho ho, baguette. <laughs> Anana. French before you go. Boof. <laughs> oh, God. Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, so getting into it. First of all, the lost generation. What does that mean? In general, it's it's a term for that the group of people, like that generation who came of age, during World War One, then called it the Great War, because at the time we didn't know there'd be a World War II. Um, so, <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah, so that term refers to the post-World War One generation in general. And it was called Lost because this generation, like they inherited certain values from like their parents and their elders that were no longer relevant in this post-war world. So to them, the country seemed and this is a quote, hopelessly provincial, materialistic, and emotionally barren. Because no one alive that point, I mean, unless you were alive maybe during the Civil War, the American Civil War, um, but they had not seen death and destruction to this extent before. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people died in this war. And, you know, new technologies and new machinery Mm -hmm. were there. So, like, death and destruction was happening at just this crazy rate that nobody... Mm -hmm could have foreseen or anticipated. And so it just caused this sense of disillusionment with this generation. And according to just history, Gertrude Stein is credited for the term, the lost generation. She was an American 
lady and a writer. Her writing, by the way, is like super weird. Like it was really experimental, but there's literally like a book of hers that she wrote that makes no freaking sense. It's called like Tender Buttons or something. Anyway, I'm going on a rant, but I'm like, it makes me- I don't like that. It makes me angry because just reading even excerpts, I'm like, this, nothing makes sense. It's like so postmodern. It's stupid. Anyway, um, (laughs) end rant. (laughs) I'm sure she's a very talented lady. Um, But she is credited for the overall term, The Lost Generation, because according to Hemingway, um, Gertrude Stein first heard it from a French garage owner, like a car mechanic, who dismissed this younger up-and-coming generation as, uh, here's here's my French, uh, uh, Generation Perdue, which just means lost generation. Mm. And so in conversation with Hemingway, Gertrude Stein told him, you know, you are all a lost generation. Mm. And this term stuck with Hemingway and he used it um, in the epigraph of his first novel, The Sun Also Rises. Do you remember what epigraph means? We talked about this notion at the end of the line. The little uh, blurb in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Gold star. I'm <laughs> learning. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. So this term, lost generation, as I'm going to talk about it today, refers specifically to those writers in Paris. Um, those American writers. So people in this group included, of course, Gertrude Stein herself, uh, Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, he of the Great Gatsby, etc. Poets T.S. Eliot and Ezra Pound and E.E. E. Cummings, writer and filmmaker John Dos Passos, Ford Maddox Ford, another writer, James Joyce, who was technically Irish, but he was still a big part of this group. And then other writers such as John Steinbeck, C.S. Lewis, Virginia Woolf, Tolkien, Henry Miller, Edna St. Vincent Millay. They're also considered writers of this same generation, but they're not part of like the Paris set. So we won't really be talking about them. I just want to throw in more contemporaries that people probably have heard of. But this aforementioned group, um, along with some artists such as like Picasso and Cezanne and uh, Dali, all hung out together in Paris. Who are those people? Artists. (laughs) Oh, okay. Picasso? (laughs) Who's Picasso? (laughs) Hey, look, I'm Picasso. I don't get it. <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> you uncultured swine. Toy Story. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember now. <laughs> oh, Mr. Petit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sam <laughs> doesn't get it. <laughs> anyway. Uncultured swine. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> what are you looking at, you hockey puck? It's <laughs> actually a hockey puck and it just goes, but. Anyway, if people haven't seen Toy Story in a while, I recommend a rewatch because <laughs> classic it really is so yeah anyway all these people were hanging out together um and a a couple different spots were particularly popular with with these folks such as le du magot and cafe de flore in the sixth arrondissement and the dingo bar in montparnasse and i think all of these places are still open so taylor when you go to paris like, you can go to these spots and, like, sit at a little table and be like, oh, ho, ho, I'm Hemingway. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> or whatever. Buy a pipe. I wonder how many cigarettes the, all these people, like, how many cigarettes did they go through in a day? Oh, my God. Probably so, so many. many. <laughs> so many. Like, I was reading a book. <laughs> I was reading a book. A, a, oh, wow. Really? Yeah. A little while back. Um, 
And it was just a historical fiction about Sylvia Beach, who I'll talk more about in a minute, um, who owned the Shakespeare and Company bookstore, which most of these people like frequented and, you know, just hung around in and did readings and stuff. And just the way she smoked, because, you know, she would always say like, oh, I need a cigarette, I need a cigarette. Oh, my teeth are turning yellow. Oh, my fingertips are turning yellow. Like, I'm sure Mm -hmm. everyone was like that, just constant smoking and drinking. Chain smoking all day. Yes. Like books probably just smelled like cigarettes back then. Oh yeah, everything probably smelled like cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how it was. Like no one, no one cared. Yeah, that's just how it was. What our lungs? We don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't care about them. We'll be fine. It's good for you. Shakespeare and Company was just another important hotspot, and it was founded in 1919 by the aforementioned Sylvia Beach. She was American, also a lesbian. So. Mm-hmm. Again, the the Paris bookseller um, by Carrie Mayer, M-A-H-E-R, was such an interesting text because it goes a little bit into, you know, people like Sylvia Beach and Gertrude Stein um, and other folks who were not straight. Like they could be in Paris and be themselves like they had nightclubs specifically for that group of folks. And it, mm-hmm. you could walk down the street and like hold hands with your lover and it wouldn't be a big thing. Cause unlike in America, like it wasn't illegal in France at that time to be gay mm-hmm. or lesbian yeah. or whatever. Um, so that's probably another reason why people went to Paris <laughs> too is just. You know, yeah. That's probably like a big reason. Yeah. That particular freedom. Um, so the original Shakespeare and company bookstore was kind of a half bookstore and half like a lending library. So people can get like a library card basically and like check out books, and return them. Um, mm-hmm. And it was originally located at number 12 Rue de Lodion. My French is terrible. And <laughs> it was kind of right across the street from a French language bookstore that her lover owned and operated. So they they really worked in tandem and Shakespeare and company was frequented not just by the American authors, but also French authors. So she got a lot of like the famous French authors of the time coming in and chatting and buying books and, and things like that. And it was also used as like a post office and like a money loan service for all these poor writers and just kind of yeah. a home away from home for, for these folks. Cause again, Sylvia was American and she sold mostly American authors. So it was just kind of like, Oh, taste of home and yeah. sylvia took it upon herself to publish james joyce's ulysses in 1922 when no one else would touch it because it contained like salacious themes like you know sex and masturbation and all this stuff and like it was already banned in america like you couldn't sell it there and she published it mm-hmm. which took just a whole bunch of time and money and james joyce was just like a totally difficult person but she did it and it's pretty awesome. And again, I highly recommend reading The Paris Bookseller. I think that's one I even recommended to you. Yeah, you did. Before you go, or at least like peruse, because it's just, it's so interesting. And then Sylvia also wrote her own memoir called Shakespeare and Company, which I have, but I haven't read yet. And then there's another book. It's a little older. It was published in 1985. It's called Sylvia Beach and the Lost Generation, A History of Literary Paris in the 20s and 30s by uh, Noelle Riley Fitch. And it just sounds really cool and they ha- it has some cool pictures so again i'm talking so much about shakespeare and company because it along with the other cafes like it was the hangout spot for the lost generation and Hemingway, who's you know notoriously 
difficult <laughs> and is not afraid to make enemies or to like drop friends. He said of Sylvia Beach, <laughs> no one that I ever knew was nicer to me. Like he had nothing but nice things to say about Sylvia. And a French author, Andre Chamson, said she did more to link England, the United States, Ireland, and France than four great ambassadors combined. Wow. So like she was a pretty awesome lady. Yeah. Sounds good. And um yeah, I highly, highly recommend um just kind of looking more into her. So this particular iteration of the bookstore was open until 1941, so World War II. And 1941 was when the Germans mm-hmm. came into Paris and occupied Paris. And one day in December 1941, a Nazi officer came into the store and demanded that Beach give him the last copy of Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce that was in the store. She said, fuck no. And the officer said he would return in the afternoon to confiscate all of the books and close her bookstore. And so after he left, Sylvia just immediately moved all of the shop's books and belongings to her upstairs apartment and just like hid everything away. In the end, she would spend six months in an internment camp. Oh my gosh. Um, and the the bookstore would never reopen like at its first original location. And during the liberation of Paris, Hemingway was in France and came over with soldiers like down the street, shouting for Sylvia, shouting for Shakespeare and company. And this is by the time she's returned from the internment camp and was up in her apartment and she shouted from the window liberate us liberate us because there were still you know nazi german soldiers around and they did so like they got the soldiers away and out of shakespeare and company either by chasing mm-hmm. them off or by like killing them whatever i don't know nazi mm-hmm. who cares um and then yeah. um, uh, hemingway then probably said he was going to go to liberate the wine cellar at the ritz <laughs> As <laughs> so, one, i do books and wine that's the most important i was gonna say he got his book and he got his wine. So he had, you know, something correct. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I just thought that was kind of fun. But obviously that was post, you know, the lost generation times because this was, you know, a whole generation and a whole other war later when that happened. Um, and then just a quick end note on Shakespeare and Company. So um, it's still open today, just in a slightly different location. So the one that's open now isn't the original, but it has a lot of the original mm-hmm. stuff in it. So like furniture, pictures hanging on the walls, just ephemera around there. And the owner right now, who she inherited from her father, her name is also Sylvia. Mm-hmm. And her dad named her Sylvia because of Sylvia Beach. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And so if you go to the Shakespeare and Company website now, it gives you all this history, um, both of the the first iteration of the store and the continuation. I, I forget when it reopened. I want to say maybe like the, the 60s or the 70s. So it was kind of closed for a little while there. But the spirit lives on. The spirit of the lost generation lives on in that store. I can go there today and poke around. You cannot take pictures inside, but you can take pictures outside. And uh, I had oh. someone who I follow on Facebook. Mm-hmm. They were there a couple of weeks ago. And there was like a little line to get in because it's it's small. Like it's not mm-hmm. a huge sprawling bookstore. It's not like a Barnes and Noble. It's smaller. And just packed with stuff. But she yeah. was saying, like, the line moved pretty well. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely going to be on my uh, list of places to go for sure. Did you did you go there when you went to Paris back in the day? No. 
Oh. No, I didn't. And I don't know if it's because it just wouldn't fit on our itinerary because I, w- I went with a school group when I was in eighth grade. Yeah. And I probably honestly would have been the only one besides Mr. Solario who wanted to go anyway. So <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, so we did not. And I'm still sad about it. But yeah, you should definitely go when you get to Paris because I think it'd be amazing. And then you have to report back, obviously, since you can't take pictures inside. Yeah. So going back to like the, the main lost generation, again, those folks were living and writing in Paris and also just drinking a shit ton because just like with smoking cigarettes, you know, people didn't really think twice about how much alcohol <laughs> they consumed. Yeah, yeah. For, for good or bad. So, you know, they would drink to numb whatever pains are going on or drink because it's cold or drink because they're sad or drink because they're happy. Like it was just a free yeah. wheeling fun time. And yeah, if, if anyone has seen, I hate to, cause you know, Woody Allen, but his movie Midnight in Paris is actually very, very good in terms of depicting the, the feel of this time because Owen Wilson, who plays a writer in like modern day, he magically gets transported mm-hmm. to um, 1920s Paris. And so he meets uh, Hemingway and Fitzgerald and Gertrude Stein and Dolly and all of these people. And it's just, it's so fun. And the guy who plays Hemingway in this movie, um, now I can't remember his name. So sorry. Did such an amazing job because it's part like making fun of Hemingway mm-hmm. and like satire. I feel like yeah. it's also pretty true <laughs> to how you... So I highly recommend, even if you don't want to watch the full movie, you can find these Hemingway clips on YouTube. And they're so funny because when Owen Wilson first meets him in the back of a car, he's just like, "Have you know, the, the men were brave and true because they died in the mud. And they were brave and true because they knew they had to die in the mud. <laughs> and I'm like, this is... So good. I think I'm gonna have to watch that. That sounds interesting. Yeah, and, and overall, it's just it's just a really good movie because I like Owen Wilson. You know, he's like I do oh, too. Wow, Paris. Wow, the twenties. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom, when did that movie come out? Oh my gosh, it came out like I was still in college, so like I want to say like 2010 or 2011. Mm-hmm. I think. Okay. So. Um, and it's not super old. No, no, and it looks beautiful because the opening shot is just like all these random shots of Paris and it's absolutely gorgeous it'll get you really excited to go to France Ooh, yeah. and Tom Hiddleston plays Scott um F Scott Fitzgerald and he's really oh my god yeah he's just he's just so pleasant and yeah it, it's great yeah so I recommend that and then um the Ernest Hemingway documentary that I talked about in our Old Man on the Sea episode actually Obviously, it goes into this part as well. And so I would, again, recommend that. And then if you do, if anyone does want to read more Hemingway, his book, A Movable Feast, is just all about his time in Paris. With I'm sure it's not entirely factual. Like, it's, it's billed as nonfiction or, like, memoir. But I'm sure there's some embellishing or like rearranging of facts but in general you get the sense of what it was like through Hemingway's eyes to to live and be there during that time and being amongst all these people and his first book The Sun Also Rises I think also kind of deals with that time as well another great one and again I'll I'll link all of these books in the show notes is The Paris Wife by Paula McLean but it's 
about Hemingway's first wife, Hadley, like just their marriage. And so she talks a lot about this time in Paris too, like through her own eyes. So it's not like through Hemingway or like another man, it's through her eyes and it's just very well done. So yeah, I recommend that one as well. But yeah, it's such an interesting time. A lot of great work was produced by these people at this time. You know, Fitzgerald would go on to write The Great Gatsby. T.S. Eliot would write like his great poems, you know, The Wasteland, The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Um, Obviously, James Joyce, you know, had his whole Ulysses thing going on. So yeah, just great work was coming out of these people um, while they were here, you know, escaping whatever was going on (laughs) in America or just looking for something different. Yeah. And after, you know, World War I and World War II, it was never quite the same Mm -hmm. in terms of just, you know, the literary output. Obviously, there's still great French writers writing in France and they have been and are now and will continue to be. But in terms of just this particular vibe, if you will, the 20s was really it. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if there's ever going to be like a revival of something like this or, or I just, writing is just so different now. I feel like now you just kind of like write Mm -hmm. on your computer in your house or in your apartment. (laughs) Like in the beginning when you, there was that quote, the one that says it was like hopelessly provincial, materialistic and emotionally barren. It's, I wonder what these people would think about today's society, like what they would have to say about now would be kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, with everything going on now, plus, you know, pandemic and things just being all kind of topsy-turvy for the past two years where people really like, you know, writers really couldn't be out and about and traveling. Like you had to write from home or write from your space where you are. And it's just so interesting now, you know, reading books that have been published in the last year up to now, how, they choose to acknowledge the pandemic or not. Like if it's a book that takes place in modern times, because I've read books that have been published in the last six months that both mention the pandemic, like it's part of the plot yeah. vaguely, or at least mentioned in the like acknowledgements, or it's just not a yeah. thing at all. And so I always think it's interesting to see what writers of any time, you know, when there's some tumultuous stuff going on, what they choose to include or how it, the outside stuff, real world stuff influences their writing versus if they just choose to completely ignore it and write as a means of escape. Definitely. Same for shows too. Some choose to include it, some don't. Yeah. Yeah. Like that whole season of Grey's Anatomy. Oh God. I Where it was just. Why? <laughs> I'm sure you don't want to watch that ever. <laughs> I will never fucking watch that. I don't even. Why? Why? <laughs> I just watched it because I'm a completist and so I wanted to see what was up. You still watch Grey's Anatomy? So at the <laughs> end of last, like when I was finishing up my my previous job at the university, I just started from the beginning and binge watched Grey's Anatomy just because oh, wow. I had so much work that I needed to do and finish up. Like I just had it on in the background. And I'm like, well, oh. might as well. keep on. <laughs> like, Once the seasons come on Netflix, I'm just going to watch it. You know, mm, yeah, whatever. Or I think it's like on Hulu or something. It's like current. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I watched that stupid fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I want Owen to die. Like he's annoying. I'm done with him. 
Oh, I was like, who's Owen? But I remember who Owen is now. Yeah. The redheaded dude, right? Yeah. yeah. The one who's actually Scottish in real life. And every once in a while, his little brogue peeks through. I'm like, oh. let it free. Because I like him as an actor. But as a character on that show, he's just the worst. Anyway, that's a great <laughs> line that we don't need to fully get into. Yeah. So, Taylor, any thoughts that you want to add? Any additional thingies? No. I mean, that's definitely all all very interesting. Like we said, I think the sexuality and queerness of it all is very interesting. And I, I feel like that was a big part of why maybe France or Paris specifically was chosen as the meeting place. Like, I feel like that was probably like in the top three reasons. Yeah, for sure. So uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's your, your history corner for today's bonus episode. And I did find some, some cool pictures in my research um, just of Hemingway and some of these folks hanging out at a cafe and then Hemingway and Sylvia Beach and others standing in front of Shakespeare and Company. So I definitely am going to post those once this episode drops. And then again, of course, linking um, the books that I talked about in the show notes. So if, and, and the movies, I'll make sure to to list those as well that I, that I talked about. Yeah. I'm definitely have a reading the Paris, Paris bookseller and watching Midnight in Paris are definitely two yeah. things I'm going to do. Before. Or maybe I should take um, the Paris bookseller with me and read it while I'm in. Yeah, Paris. that'd be cool. Or like on the plane ride, because that is going to be a long plane ride. That is <laughs> true. So you'll need some stuff to keep you occupied. <laughs> or at least listen to it. I like sometimes yeah. reading on planes. Yeah. I don't know. It just I just fall asleep. Well, I fall asleep listening to stuff too. <laughs> just always fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, I just fall asleep constantly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Cool. All right. Well, then that's all I got for you folks. Um, Sweet. Yeah. Until next time. Yeah. Until next time. And I'm glad I didn't uh, have to go on about my hatred for Ernest Hemingway on this thing. Try to cool it down. (laughs) I think everyone gets it. Yeah. (laughs) You know how you feel. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a rating and review. It helps fellow readers find our podcast. Happy reading and drinking.